0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Stop stop. Small say, self-help from the hip. Small not say, we're talking that shit. Small not say, and keeping it real. Small. Man it's you. so funky um first of all i just you you have a smolder face that you make there it is right there <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've
1: been told i've been told some people call it a smirk some people call it a smolder you know can i tell you honestly where that comes from is that you know, just being a black woman, obviously everything about us is policed and weaponized. Yeah. And I'm a very, um, I'm a true Aquarius. So I'm very uh, introspective, like very in my head. And so I would always have this furrowed brow, like I've had since I was a kid. Yes. And so as I was, you know, coming up as a city councilor and now in Congress, when people would take a photo, it would become like a permanent stock photo, me with this furrowed <laughs> And make it like I'm angry when I was just being like present in the event, you know, just affected by what I'm hearing. And so then I said, okay, well, I don't want to stand there and and just smile, you know, just spontaneously. You see people do that, right? When they get an an interview and it's because I was on the real. That's right, right. how they for so be- real. Right. So people are being, you know, self-conscious and they're like, oh, I better, yep. you know, pop a smile or whatever. And so I didn't want to do that because I didn't feel authentically me unless I genuinely wanted to smile, you know? So I said, okay, what would be like an in-between thing I could do that's kind of, you know, warm and inviting, but like authentic. So I was like, I'm gonna do a little half smile. <laughs> and then that just became
0: this smirk thing, but that was not my intention. Like so- literally. When they make merch of you all the time and pins <laughs> and whatnot, like you know, how RBG, they always had the yeah you know, her fancy yes, collar. Yes, they gonna yes. give you the smolder. They gonna uh, give you the they do. They do. Yeah, absolutely. We are joined by because <laughs> we just got into it. We are joined by United States representatives, yeah, United States representative, yes. <laughs> United States representative uh, Democrat of Maryland Seventh District, Ms. Ayana. Presley, Yes. Hello. Hi. We are are very happy to have you because you are someone in politics that I like. And so we are very happy to have you because these days that is hard to come by. And I think so many people look to you as as a beacon of light in what feels like a really dark not feels like in what is a really dark time. And when I say that, it's because I feel like you and, um, you know, there's a, there's a few other folks that are, that are alongside you, Ilhan, for example, you, you say shit, (laughs) you say shit, you do things, you, um, feel like what I think a lot of us expect a, a public figure and a, um, a servant I don't like public servant, but a a an elected official to do to represent mm. the people. yeah,
1: you know thank what I mean? you so much. That's very humbling for you to say that. And I do want to say, albeit belatedly a couple of years ago, um you made my whole day. you may not remember this because you get asked to do these things all the time, like being on cameo or something. People <laughs> probably asked you to do that, but she yes. recorded a, a birthday greeting for me that was a part of this. Uh, big video yeah. my team did for me. And um, anyway, it just meant the world to me. I, I'm so appreciative of you. Um, your intellect and your wit are um, equally sharp. And also you have such a big platform and you have been such a responsible steward with that platform. And, um, I just, you know, so appreciate that. So I appreciate you as an artist, as a creative, as a thought leader, as an author, let's go. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I do. So, um, Thank anyway, you. I just, I just, I just wanted to say all of that.
0: I, I think I said Maryland. I meant to say Massachusetts. So let me just catch that real quick uh, because I didn't pick up. I didn't pick up on it. You
1: know what? Actually, today, um, well, I won't timestamp things, but I was recently uh, just doing some uh, movement building work and campaigning uh, for uh, colleagues and competitive uh, primaries and Representative Omar, um, you know, uh, is one of them. And I realized when I looked at the stage, I said, "Okay, we have Massachusetts, we have Missouri and Representative Cory Bush. Yeah, we have Michigan with Representative uh, Taleb. and then Minnesota. So, you know, however you want to get to that, you know, power of M. (laughs) Yes. You know, know, come on, it's some exciting things afoot in Maryland, potentially, you know, so, you know, you can can throw that in the mix. But no, I'm the Commonwealth of Massachusetts um, adopted home for me. I'm actually originally from Chicago. Uh, that's my roots are, you know, very Midwestern, which is why, um, you know, I bowl and and drink black coffee and eat plain old fashioned donuts. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, and like my hot dogs grill. So I'm, you know, very, very, uh, very Midwestern in that way. But uh, yeah, this is an adopted home for me. Came here to attend Boston University in 1992. And uh, that really kind of completely changed the trajectory of my life. So yeah, definitely in the Massachusetts 7th and
0: well, shout out to the Massachusetts Seventh. Oh. Boston is always like, "When are you coming to Boston?" I'm like, yeah. "I just I was in Boston with Smart, Funny, and Black at the end of the year last year." But you know, y'all are like Northeast, but not like, but like past New York. So I like know,
1: but tr- there's some 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 culture and some vibes. It is uh, some shifts happening
0: here. So shout out to Dorchester. Yes. Yeah, so keep <laughs> keep keep us on keep us on your radar. Yeah. Well, you know, I first want to just talk about. The, the the change you said that happened when you were at Boston University, like was the change you deciding like this was the course that going into okay, so what was the change?
1: No, so the change was just being in the city of Boston. So uh, I'm an only child, grew up in a single parent household. Shout to only children, single yeah, parent LC, households. Gs, O C O Gs. Um and my father, you know, who's doing great now and has since retired, he um went on to become a college professor and a published author, but for many of his years was in a cycle of substance use disorder. And then because this country believes in treating trauma with more trauma, Mm. um, he was uh, incarcerated. And so, um, you know, we, our household was very destabilized and, um, you know, it took a while for things to sort of right size, but anyway, so that's sort of my, like a little bit of my origin story, kind of what shapes my worldview. And my mother was, A super voter she was a community builder she was a tenants rights organizer um and she taught me early on there's this difference between like your job and your work like your job is what you do to pay the bills and then your work with a capital w is the work of the upliftment and the betterment of community yeah and she also told me um she modeled this and poured into me that to be black is a beautiful thing and something I should be prideful of, but that I was being born into a struggle. And she had an expectation that I would do the work of black liberation and the liberation of all marginalized people. So I was very civically engaged. I was, you know, president of my class, you know, um, a cheerleader, you know, albeit 60 pounds ago. I was a competitive debater, you know, um, a volunteer. So I was very civically engaged. Then I came to Boston University and I was president of my college and doing a number of uh leadership sort of uh things. And um I uh got this internship and I worked three paid jobs through that unpaid internship. I wanna say today that definitely would not stand. I'm grateful the congressman gave me that opportunity, and that was more the status quo at the time. But now we pay our interns a living wage, and that's been nice. really game changing um throughout Congress to really in the Senate. To, to diversify the pipeline, you know, mm-hmm. because for yep. a long time those yep. opportunities were only for the kids of donors. Yep. So um it's crazy because I was an intern in this office, um, the Massachusetts Eighth at the time, and um working three-paid jobs for that. And then ultimately he hired me. Um, and I worked for that congressman for four and a half years, then I worked for Senator Kerry for 11 years and then I served on the city council for eight years and I've been in Congress for four. So I'm gonna lift that up because listen, I I wouldn't give short shrift to my magic. <laughs> uh, you know, I definitely have that, but this is not just black girl magic. This is a black woman work. I've been putting it yeah. in, uh, you know, people think we just sort of like fell out the sky. And then, you know, I've been doing the work of movement building and electoral politics, literally since I was in utero. And uh, my very first campaign was at the age of 10 years old to help elect the first black mayor in the city of Chicago. So uh, I've been at this. It's a long time. So, but Boston changed the trajectory of my life. It was attending Boston university, um, and then landing that, uh, that internship.
0: Major, major, because you're right. People absolutely feel like folks just pop up and decide like, okay, I'm about to run for office because that's how it feels for so many of us who see politicians that are coming into this position uh, with money behind them. Right. It's just like, well, I had the money, so why not just do this thing? But
1: also it's that um, and and you deal with this, you know, as a creative, as an artist, you know, as an actor, is that. You know, maybe there's some people um, that that saw you on television for the first time and they said, oh, this is this, you know, incredibly talented, you know, beautiful up and coming talent. And you're like, up and coming. -coming. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, do you want to see the battle scars I've been been at this for a while, you know, so um, I think whatever it is that you do, people very rarely understand that it is an art form, that there is a science, um, that there is work that goes into that um, for decades. Uh, but, you know, this is work that I'm prepared to do for as long as there's breath in my body, because um, the work of justice seeking really is never ending. And progress right. is is measured in decades. It's measured in years. It's not measured in days and weeks. You know, so if you want to do the work of liberation, truly, uh, you
0: know, buckle up because that, that that work just it never ends. How do you feel like in this current climate you are? supported in that work by your fellow Democrats?
1: Well, first I would say that uh, where I find, um, where I'm, what I'm fueled by, where I'm fortified, where I'm emboldened is being in movement, is being in movement, is being in community. And it's being, it's the power of that movement that has us closer than ever before to seeing um, student debt, Uh, Cancellation. Mm -hmm. It's the power of that movement that made Black maternal morbidity a part of the national discourse. Uh, It's the power of that movement uh, that uh, recently resulted in um, that victory in Kansas of of Roe and abortion care. You know, on the ballot. So, you know, I find uh, inspiration. I find strength in the movement. Uh, When it comes to the party, you know, listen, I'm 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 a Democrat. Um, That's all I've ever been. And we are a big tent, uh, you know, party. I will say that the struggle for me is to be um, weaponized, mischaracterized, you know, boiled down to in some instances like a shallow digestible soundbite that is not, um, that does not center my humanity. That is not representative of the work that I've put in. Um, I think when you are doing the work of resistance to um, injustice, when you are actively seeking to dismantle white supremacy, to undo the harm of of decades of policy violence, you know, not everyone is going to love that. Um, And so I just accept that this I'm honoring the tradition of that Black women have played on the front lines of every social justice movement. We are truth tellers. Yeah. You know, we are table shakers. We are also coalition builders. You know, we are conveners, and um, you know that's not going to be that's not going to be easy. So I don't think I don't always feel understood, and I think to be misunderstood can be a, a very painful reality. Yes, it is. Yeah. It can be a very painful reality. And I've just had to, you know, accept that um, there may be people that never get it. And I just have to be okay with that because I'm very clear about my why. I'm very clear about who I'm accountable to, who actually sent me to Washington. And again, I'm not new to this. You know, I have respect for um, that body, for the institution. I grew up in it. You know, I was an aide for 16 years before I was elected to my first office. So, um, you know, I'm not new to any of this. And um, I think that has given me the resilience to um, to deal what sometimes can be just a a very lonely walk.
0: Well, let me just pour into you (laughs) and say that uh, as someone who knows about the lonely walk. Um, I, I would, I hope that, you know, that even in your feelings of loneliness, which is a very real feeling, there are so many of us who really do look to you as an example of how we would love to see the democratic party exist in a much more grand form. And, you know, I, I. I feel like the energy and the effort that you are putting in on a daily basis to being not only action oriented, but very vocal. And I think that's important because people will always say, oh, ac- words actually speak louder than words. Yes. But in a country where media is king, you also need the words. Right. So you need the action. But then you also need to be verbalizing what's happening and what needs to happen, because that's what people are hearing. That's what people are able to like receive. And the the. The right wing side, and that's me being very generous, because the white supremacist, Christian nationalist side of, of politics is very verbal in a way that's cacophonous. It's a noise that can silence the work that someone like you do is doing. And it's so necessary that you continue to speak and we continue to lift you up and the folks that are speaking and working in the way you are, because those people are showing up every single day to oppress they do not waste a day in figuring out how to continue to oppress. And I'm constantly just trying to empower us as folks who are challenging oppression to carry that same energy in challenging it. And I see that in you on a regular basis. And it does make me say like, this is not a futile effort. Like there are people in the mix who get it. And there's so much apathy that we're fighting right now. When you are doing your work, you know, I don't feel like the Republican Party has to consider engaging voters in the way that the Democrats have to at this point to make people feel like they're heard. How do you feel like you and also the party can help to ignite voters in a real actualized way? Because the the clock is ticking on midterms.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, First of all, don't talk people out of their lived experience.
1: OK, so when you say um, I wrote a bill or we passed a bill and, and someone says, OK, but my, I'm still struggling. Right. You know, I haven't felt the impact of that. Um, we should not talk people out of their experience. Mm. Um, I think sometimes we get into like a rote rhythm of just listing a litany of things that have been done, yes. but isn't censoring Because, and a lot of it comes from a a defensiveness Mm -hmm. um, in feeling that uh, people don't always appreciate how much of our work is harm reduction. They don't know the things we stop from happening, um, while also being at a parallel track of of actively seeking to advance things. I'll just say that about myself I'm Mm -hmm. doing both harm reduction, dismantling, and also, you know, seeking to advance things. I say, policy is my love language because we've legislated hurt and harm. We can legislate equity. We can legislate healing. We can legislate justice, and that's what I seek to do. And do that in a way that's intersectional, because that's how we live. We don't live in big check boxes. Right. You know, all of these things are connected. We live in intersectionality, complexity, uh, nuance. Right? Mm-hmm. Shout out to uh, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, so we live in, yes. we, you know, we live in that intersectionality. Um, and so I think there's a defensiveness that many elected officials feel yes. um, in trying to make the case for like, no, I am trying, I am working. So they just start giving you like a resume, and, mm. and people are like, okay, I, I hear that. Um, some of it I understand, some of it I don't. But regardless, I'm still struggling. And we have to center that. Be real. Don't talk people out of their their struggle. You can let them know you're fighting for them, but you need to actively listen. The other thing is we we have to. Uh, have a paradigm shift of politics of transformation, not of transaction. Um, One of the things that we do in our organization is what we call deep canvassing work. It's like really the work of deep democracy, which is we are canvassing and we are knocking doors year round, not just for an election cycle. And we're knocking doors not to say, are you going to vote for me or not? You know, we're engaged in conversation. We're asking, um, what are your needs? Are your basic needs being met? Um, oh, do you know about student debt cancellation? That was one of the issues we went on doors with in the middle of the pandemic, talking to people about. Um, and we were able to move the dial on that. There was a lot right. of mis- harmful mischaracterizations, false narratives about the issue of student debt cancellation. Hmm. So many thought it was really uh, a minority of people impacted. They thought student debt cancellation was um. Uh, would be regressive and impact. They didn't think it should be a top priority. But after we engage in these conversations, many people moved or they thought about the issue differently, even if their position Mm. stayed the same. And so we have to do a politic of transformation, not just transaction. Before you ask someone for their vote, you need to ask them about their lives. You need to understand their worldview, sort of how they arrive at these things. And the other thing is, I really believe in governing cooperatively. And so if you govern cooperatively, I always say the people closest to the pain should be closest to the power, driving and informing the policymaking. When you are developing legislation in partnership with those closest to the pain, then they feel that what you're doing is responsive. Right. Yes. So at the end of the day, people just need to feel the impact when we had the child tax credit. People felt that impact. We have stimulus checks. People felt that impact. And You could debate. Is it enough? Could we use more? But, but they felt the impact. When We extended and expanded unemployment, you know, during uh, COVID relief packages. People felt that impact. Um, you know, so. I think ultimately, in order for us to be successful, it's about doing the work of engagement, mobilization, and movement building all the time, not just for a cycle. It's um, advancing responsive, bold, transformative legislation that people feel the impact of. And we have to be willing to put our bodies on the line. You know what I mean? mean amanda but Dead. the thing is, is that, amanda you'll co-sign that but guess what we have people and i'm talking even within the progressive flank people who were critical of us sleeping on the steps of the Capitol, oh. led by representative Corey bush in the midst of the eviction war who has done the podcast ex- shout ex- to Corey. expiring yeah shout out that's my, that's my sister um we 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 had people that were critical of us uh protesting and getting uh Arrested or detained uh, on the steps of the Supreme Court um, because the Supreme Court is extremist and far right, legislating from the bench, completely unprecedented, overturning the will of the people. And, you know, Uh, Abortion care is health care, reproductive justice, maternal justice. You know, these are life and death issues. And so people were critical of that. And they'll say say it's performative and, you know, it's attention seeking. And you know what, Amanda, if that's all we did, then maybe I'd hold some space for your cynicism. That can't be the only thing we do. Correct. Your city council, your state rep, your state senator, your mayor, they need to be legislating. They need to be codifying the value of your life in every budget. All of that needs to happen. And if they're not getting it done, you want to see them uh, go down fighting. And that means using every single lever. I use every lever, the power of my letterhead, the power of my pen, the power of my platform, the power of the movement. You know, you have to do all of it. This is this time demands activist leadership and not just from uh you know BIPOC organizations who've been on the front lines and doing it the they you should be demanding that from your elected officials too that's how i feel
0: well y'all i i, I don't have anything to <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Chicago came out in there. You there was a there was a head shape. <laughs> Let me get y'all together, real quick. Oh my goodness! You know no, what drives, it drives me crazy. No, Talk I know, I know that it drives you crazy because yes. trust me, like when I have said, I would really like to see our elected officials show up in the ways that you just said. There are folks who will then challenge me for saying you shouldn't be asking your election officials to show up in any kind of way. That means that you are being against the Democratic Party. That means that you are now siding with the other side. And that's not the case. That's not the case. Because at the end of the day, what I think makes it so necessary for us to do that is the fact that we are not the Republican Party. We are not sycophants. We are not cult followers. And the truth is we are—we actually have the intellectual abil- capabilities to know that these elected officials need to show up for us in real ways, not just in verbal ways that make us feel like we just feel good and warm while they take everything that we need out from under us, right? Because so many people who are voting on the Republican block of things don't even realize they're voting against their best interests. They've just... Fed into this emotional narcissism that has been fed to them that says, you know, if you vote for us, we're gonna make all your problems go away. And we're not gonna tell you what your problems are other than that they're black people and Mexicans. Those are your problems. <laughs> and we're gonna make all that go away. They're not. But at the end of the day, I will, I would, I wonder, do you feel that there are, do you feel that there are more people who were questioning or being cynical about that action that you guys took or that there are more people who are moved by it?
1: Well, if I only lived on Twitter, (laughs) I would think there's more people that are cynical. Um, But because I'm, I'm, you know, as Representative Tlaib always says, rooted in community, because I'm rooted in community, I believe there are more people um, who felt um, a sense of, uh, gratitude or uh, a solidarity, you know, I'm glad that they're, they recognize that they're moving with urgency, basically, that they're, they're willing to go out and do anything necessary to have these rights, uh, these, this, what was a constitutional right, 50 years, restored, you know? Um, I will say also, um, It's interesting that they pick and choose who they're critical of regarding that action. So when I was campaigning in St. Louis for Representative Bush, um, she had opponents who were saying that sleeping on the steps of the Capitol was undignified and unbecoming of a lawmaker, which to me undermines our entire history and the work of civil rights and liberation. Because in fact. Congressman Lewis, may he rest, and re- rest, Thank rest, you. rest in peace and That's power. That's the first image that came to mind. But, but Amanda, most people will make his activism just about the Edmund Pettus Bridge. No, no. He sat on the House floor yes. demanding a vote on gun violence, okay? Now, when we were at the Supreme Court, Barbara Lee was there, my big sister. And, you know, this is a, a truth teller and, and she's an inspiration to many of us. The assistant speaker of the house in my delegation, Catherine Clark, was also there. Uh, the chair of um, the oversight committee, Carolyn Maloney, was there. I mean, there were many, there were dozens of us that were there. But the ones that were extracted and called out uh, were mostly uh, the, the women of color. And, um, and and I think there's something to be said there. You know, why is that action being... Um, Criticized or uh, are downplayed as the significance when we do it, when that is really rooted in the work of our liberation. That's a tradition. That's our history. Whereas when other people do that, it's honorable. They are indefatigable. You know, it, it, it
0: indefatigable. It's, yes. Right.
1: This they're indefatigable. You know. So you know, I again, I don't have a lot of spaces to really offer the the daily contradictions and double standards and, you know, the gradations that take place, you know, in this, because if I did that, then someone would say I was sitting in victimhood and then I would be gaslit for that. So, you know, the truth of the matter is, I don't in any way feel like a victim, but I am going to call out that there is a contradiction. And when we've arrived at a moment where we're under the weight of several layered crises, And we take and do an act of civil disobedience. And there are people who would consider that undignified for a lawmaker.
0: They really do not understand the moment we find ourselves in. No, they don't. But that's the frustration of so many folks. You know, when I look at the Democratic Party, I think that part of the reason why there continues to be such so many fissures is because at the end of the day, white supremacy is not simply a Republican uh, situation. It's not simply carried out by individuals who are in the Republican Party. There are folks who, whether they want to admit it or not, may identify with the Democrat ideas. Uh, Democrat ideals, but still protect their white privilege and still protect their white their their access to white supremacy while trying to be a Democrat. And there's no way to do those two things at the same time as supporting the individuals that are also Democrats who do not have access to white supremacy. So there's always going to be a fissure within this party and an inability for it to move in the effectiveness that the Republican Party can move when that continues to be in the mix. The Republicans move so effortlessly because they're all like, "Well, we're all white." and those who aren't are fine with the white people running shit and they'll go along with it that's it You know, but when we have folks like you and like AOC and, you know, Representative Bush and Representative Omar, there's never going to be the cohesion that would need to happen to move forward until the count, the the people who are moving antithetical to you within your party admit that, or until we vote them out. And that's what I really want to try and like encourage people to do. The voting process is not simply just voting the same way that you said the legislative process as a as a uh, elected official is not simply just doing policy like it's a multitude multi-pronged approach and I think for so many of us as just citizens we never really felt like we needed to engage in that multi-pronged approach we felt like we just kind of maybe only needed to do one little part of it you know even if it's like i I'm, I'm gonna vote but i'm only gonna vote for the president baby we had primaries you know people were so angry about like well biden is our only choice well he wasn't there were other options but now we're at this point you didn't take part in the first parts of this so that's how we ended up here But
1: and i think i, I do want to say Amanda, also i do believe that given the now you know look we're coming off of um you know a, a victory and that we um uh, have passed the inflation uh, reduction act out of the senate and friday the house will take a vote on that which has many of the tenants although not all the things that we right. originally fought up fought for and built back better you know these robust investments that i think are critical to both undoing harm but also charting yes. a different path forward because it doesn't matter if people say Um, the pandemic has laid bare and exacerbated every inequity and disparity if we don't want to do anything about it, which is why it bothers me when people say, oh, there's a reckoning on racial injustice. I grew up in a storefront church on the south side of Chicago. This is not a reckoning. There's an awakening. But the, the reckoning has to be something epic, you know. Yes. Th- that's uh, commiserate. changing That's commiserate to the herd, right? When you are advancing policies that go as deep and as far as the herd, and so uh, we're is on that a- really possible within? I do, of course, I believe it is possible. Okay. Now, I watch you. I've, I've I've seen you on Instagram, so I know where you're going on this two party system thing, and I, I know you struggle with that, you know. And um, and so I I, I want to hold space for that. But I wanted to say about the primaries and. Uh, other offices, other office holders on the city and state level, given the obstruction from Senate Republicans, who it seems at many turns had contempt for everyone who calls this country home. The House, we've been doing our job like twice. We passed my bill with Judy Chu, the Women's Health Protection Act, and so many other bills that I can name that we moved out of the House only to be met with obstruction in the Senate, right? Uh, including gun reform, right? Um, but we've had state legislatures and mayors and governors and city councillors and school committees who stood in the gap. And at least in Massachusetts, we've had some things advanced like the Crown Act and, you know, other mm-hmm. things that we were unable to get out of the Senate. People have, have acted on, including uh, prioritizing reproductive uh Uh, care and access and things like that. So I'm just trying to make your point that every election does matter. Mm -hmm. Every office holder matters. They're accountable to you. Um, And then the last point that I would make is um, I think it's important that as a party party, and as movement builders, that we never talk down to people. So when I was saying how we have to center their experience, mm-hmm. I don't like when we use terminology like low information voters, you know, or like <laughs> if you or, or if you just sit in people's um, struggle. Like, I'm going to acknowledge your lived experience, but a poor person does not want to be told they're poor. Right. You know, it, so it's important that. um. You know, we also are uh, uh, aspirational. It's important that we listen to people and, again, not talk them out of their experience. People think that people don't vote, Amanda, because they're ignorant or apathetic or don't know any better. People don't vote not because they don't know enough. They don't vote because they know too much. Facts. Facts. Yes. They, they know so much. They, yeah. t- they, they have a death. There's broken hearts, broken promises, yes. a deficit of trust, all of these things. So we have to, you can't talk people out of that. You have to like sit in that, take some accountability. I mean, that's how I feel. I feel like, wow, if people are not showing up, I take it personally. I'm like, what have I not done that they don't feel the impact of their government or, or me in this seat all around them? Um, that they know they need to preserve that advocacy and that partnership. They must not be feeling the impact of my work. I need to go bolder. Or maybe I didn't list a hard enough. I, I, I really do take it personally. And maybe, maybe I shouldn't because there is something to be said for personal responsibility and determination and all of that. Um, but I do think we have to um, not talk people out of their experiences and just acknowledge that um, that apathy and that cynicism is informed by real experiences with government.
0: Is there a version of two things existing at the same time, which is having an apathy about the government that has shown up in a repetitive fashion that feels like it's not showing up for you, right? Not you personally, but like for a person. Yeah, no, no, for sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there a world where that apathy can simultaneously exist with continuing to vote within a system that exists at present. So the reason I say that is be, I think you know where I'm going with this. The reason I say that is because like, I think I'm that person. I feel like I am that person. I'm that person who's like, well, I don't, I have no proof that this system is effective um, because we have continued to fight and fight and fight this system over and over and over and over again. It still continues to have so many gaps. However, until we have a replacement, I still need to have a certain level of effort committed into this space because this is all we have right now. Is, no, is, absolutely. No, That that's,
1: I mean, absolutely that space exists. Like you said, you occupy it. And I don't think you're, um, I don't think you're alone in that. I mean, again, just like I can acknowledge. So when, when everyone uh, quotes, um, you know, Audre Lorde about dismantling the house with the master's tools and, yeah, why, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's sort of, I mean, look, I'm in government. I mean, so. You right. know, I I acknowledge the, the the you know what I'm a part of. You know, by yeah. by by default, because this is the how I seek to make a contribution, which is also why it's so damn hard. You know, <laughs> so I so I so I do think that um uh, that space certainly exists, and many and many people
0: occupy that space. Um, the other thing, and you'll I be radical th- in that space without completely. Removing yourself from that space, you know, is there a version of that? I think I think you're the closest version. Yeah,
1: and you know, look, I define radical the way Angela Y. Davis does, which to address things from the root. You know, I think uh, many people define radical as something you know very different. I'm really just talking about like deep systemic change. You know, yeah. undoing centuries of harm. Um, I do think it's possible, but again change ultimately, and that's why Coretta Scott King said, freedom is won; it's earned every generation. We don't have it in perpetuity. Like, you know that, because you can't have a people in, uh, emancipated from enslavement, go through reconstruction, have it all undone by Jim Crow. You can't have a settled constitutional law in the books for 50 years, and then have the Supreme Court legislate from the bench and undo it like that, and not know that gains are not guarantees. Like, we have to fight like hell to preserve the gains we, we have and build upon them. So I just sell that to say that if, if you know that that's what the work is, then I know that progress is not going to be measured in weeks and days. It will be measured in decades. It will be measured in years. Like, in many ways, the reason why this work is hard, Amanda, is because you're sort of being a better ancestor than you are descendant. Yes. Because you're You're, really seeking to like, you know what I mean? You don't know that these things are going. There are things that we do like community project funding and earmarks and things like that physically all around us. You can point to with some signal of progress and as a manifestation of your, your work. Right. But for the most part, when you're talking about, like, I, I served on the city council eight years, I wanted to serve on the federal level because every inequity, every disparity, every racial injustice was legislated. This is not like, you know, shit in the ether. Okay. It was legislated, codified yeah. in laws, codified in budgets. And, and, and most of the residual fallout of that stuff that we see in cities and states and existing for generations started with federal policy, you know? So, so that's why I wanted to serve on the federal level. So if I know that that's Root. my, if, if, if I know that's my assignment, sis, you know, I have to be realistic about that, about that time frame. So I, I got to move with, um, you know, we were, I was talking to my sisters the other day and we were just saying that, Someone has said, you're impatient. And and, um, and 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 we just arrived at this like, well, listen, you know, my sister said, well, patience is a methodology of the privileged. Mm. You know, we're moving with urgency and boldness yes. because we know lives depend on it. Yes. When we're looking at a prospect of forced birth and black women are three times more likely to die in childbirth. Say after after our ancestors have already endured and indigenous women, medical apartheid, forced sterilization, medical experimentation, all these things, yes. you know, so this is life and death. I have to move with both. I have to move with urgency, but I'm also couching it. Uh. In the timetable of the work of justice, like, you know, it's like I'm believing that we can we can we can bring about a change. I'm working for it to happen urgently because I need it to. But I also know that even if I'm successful in that, we won't be done, you know, because we just we won't be. That That's what it is. This is that's the the algorithm. Like, Amanda, when people keep saying the, the moment we're in is unprecedented, that is a falsehood. It's unprecedented in our lifetime, yeah, but it's not unprecedented, no. so like this is the algorithm of the world, this is the algorithm of the work of justice, so just like,
0: what do you want to do for your time here I mean, so is that really just is this like are we just is that where the I guess the peace within comes from in terms of committing to, because, you know, we're quoting folks. So, you know, Baldwin's like any black person with any level of, I'm paraphrasing, with any level of awareness, living in rage, right? right? I think so much of our rage comes from the feeling of why is there advancement and then regression and advancement and regression? What are the, why are, does, why are we, I think for a lot of us, it feels like why haven't we learned a way to, I got you. Yeah, like what's the it. what's the combination? You know, like tell yeah, me, tell me to, the to like, yeah, at so least or to stuff, at yeah. least like extend, you know, or at least to like diminish. You know, it's like when you get in a relationship and you start seeing like, oh, our arguments are happening farther apart now. Look, we're learning each other, like we figured out each other. I feel like so much of my frustration and and the uh, and the peers that I speak to, and just you know, the people in my in my um group of, of supporters feel like we're like never learning the algorithm, but the opposition has mastered it. Yeah, And it's like, that's what, real. <laughs> and it's like, that's, so that's then, real. So then you say to yourself, to your point, you say to yourself like, well, until we do, this is the work I have to do. And, you know, Angela Davis, Angela Y. Davis did say, she was like, uh, I, I saw an interview she did where somebody was asking her, you know, what's the point of protesting at this point? What's the point? What's the point of protesting? You were protesting. We're protesting. What's the point? And she said, because you're continuing to chip away. You're continuing to chip away. You can't just stop because once you stop, then they continue to keep going and they're pulling you along with them. At least when you are in in action, you are opposing the, the quickness with which they can take you down this road.
1: Think that people have to take stock of the victories like look at the unionization you know what's happening um you know uh with amazon starbucks Shout out to Chris like, Moss. you know it's right, exactly Ooh, it's a bad anyway you know <laughs> you know right um i don't know if you saw his testimony before uh the senate but anyway um you know look at what's happening throughout the country That is a signal of progress. That is a testament to the movement. The fact that, and I led this fight in the House, that we were able to get a pause on student loan payments three times during the pandemic, and we're closer than ever to getting cancellation, that is a testament and a credit to the movement. The fact that I sit in this seat which it took 230 years in, in progressive Massachusetts to elect the first person of color to our delegation. You know, I, I can't pretend that that's not a signal of some progress. Do I wish that we had leadership parity in race and gender and um much earlier? Do I think everyone stands to benefit from that? You know, absolutely, because we call different questions. You know, we bring a different perspective. We move differently, right? Um, I mean, hell, how I show up in the world as a bald Black woman is disruptive, you know, all on its own, the space that I I'm occupying and that representation, shout out to the uh, 7 million people out there living with alopecia. But, um, you know, so I I, I agree, um, you know, with, with what you offered there. I just want us to also take credit for the victories, because I think like the dominant, they want you to feel like we're always losing. You know, we're, we're not. We're about to send to Congress, Summer Lee out of Pennsylvania, Delia Ramirez um, out of Illinois. Um Uh, Greg, uh, uh, Cesar
0: out of Texas, you know, this, but do you know know why people feel that way? Because people don't feel safe because even if we have these victories, people don't feel safe. People don't feel safe in or secure that those victories are going to be the goals and the gains that we need. And that's really where people are right now. And I can say that because I, I, I do my best to be that, that objective person And we know that we need to identify those victories because baby, we got to fight the power and fight for our joy in the same voice. Thank
1: you for saying (laughs) that. Amanda, Amanda, we have got to figure this part out because I'm going to tell you something. My mother, may she rest in peace and power. She, I feel like she equipped me with, and she was a Sagittarius, so she was very joyful. Okay. But, and very conscious, but she equipped me with so much armor like baby girl this is what you need to to navigate hostile territory this is what you need to negotiate these rooms everything was about armor and i feel like our whole identity has become that of like the resistance and warriors so i'm i will erase our own humanity the reason why yes. people can 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 do Uh, centuries of legislated harm against Black folks or the marginalized people is because they don't see our humanity. So those of us doing this work, we can't allow that to happen too. Like we gotta be as radical and bold in the work and the work of resistance and just as
0: radical in our joy and our healing. And that's the space that I'm trying to figure out now. I can tell you now. I can tell you one thing right now. Okay, tell me. Because you already said it. The canvassing is radical and I'm gonna tell you why. Because... Analog connections at this point are radical because wow. they re- because they require a level of energy that a lot of people aren't afraid to put in. They require a level of connection that a lot of people are afraid to do, but that is necessary because that human connection is more powerful than any Wi-Fi connection. And so many on the other side are getting away with doing things digital. And the truth is, is that we are not doing enough person to person to really crack through in the way that this digital shit is just succumbing everyone's life. Hmm. That to me is, is the actual radical way of connecting. Like when you said that earlier, I was like, Oh, that brings me a sense of awareness. I mean, of relief because I'm like, okay, they get there. They're seeing that there's, there's so much that has to be emotionally done for folks to fight the way they need to fight. So that's why I'm with you when we say like, we do have to acknowledge our victories because they do bring us a certain level of like, okay, like seeing Kansas. I was like, right. Exactly. Okay. White women decided to vote. White women decided to vote for their best interests and not just for their husband's best interests. But I, I want to just ask you, um, when it does come to abortion, you know, I think a lot of folks are definitely trying to get to the root of what is this really about? Like what is the actual reason that abortion rights were repealed in this country because there's so many versions of why, right? There's this idea that it's oh there's a birth dearth of white people, oh there's a um there's a Christian nationalist, you know, ideal that abortion is against God's wishes, etc. You know, then there's folks who say this is just a a um some it's somewhat euphemistic that they're using to gain power from people that in constituencies that they know can 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 support the republican vote. What would you say is the real reason why there was a push successfully to repeal abortion rights in this company in this country <laughs> country company same shit. <laughs> um yeah, I wish I had some poetic response honestly um
1: because they could. <laughs> I mean why? Like yeah. of all the things well, why? well, first of all it's coordinated. Okay, so let me just say this. I um it's layered and it's coordinated okay so i chair the abortion rights and access task force under the pro choice caucus this is the first pro choice majority congress in the history of congress and 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 that's a role that i'm i'm um, you know very appreciative to be able to, to play especially at this moment and recently uh, i hosted vice president harris in my district and this was a, a big part of the strategy discussion we had on how to replicate what happened in kansas you know while still pushing for all these other things. And and again, you know, uh, HHS and and the president have rolled out new guidance and executive actions that are responsive to to our movement, which is saying you have to protect providers and patients from criminalization. You have to preserve and expand access to to medication abortion. Um, The House not only passed the Women's Health Protection Act twice, um, which would enshrine Roe, But we also passed legislation for the right to travel for those who are in those triggered law states so that they can go to safe havens like the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to get the abortion care that that they need. And I could go on on that front. But if you look at the states that have trigger laws and and there is not uh, abortion care since Roe has been struck down by the Supreme Court, these are the same states uh, advancing in their state legislatures anti LGBTQ, you know, transphobic legislation. These are the same states that are the most active when it comes to voter suppression, um, you know, purging, uh, the, the, the roles of yes. all those different things. So there's nothing coincidental about the fact that you have those three concentric circles of, of voting rights. Um, abortion care, reproductive access, um, LGBTQ, you know, all of those things are happening. It is a coordinated, uh, legislated oppression. That's it. Now, do we... But but why? They just don't like people? (laughs) uh, I think it's in response to our growing power, you know, electorally and otherwise. And, um, you know, if you were going to take it, uh, you know, Take it back to my granddaddy's storefront church. I would say, you know, that those that are last will be first, and you know, all that kind of thing. It's like the the uh, the most marginalized, right, um, have mobilized, and um, that has resulted in new power. I don't think we always know. That's how, the word there. I don't think we always know how powerful we are. Yeah, and I don't think we include everyone in this new power narrative. One pet peeve of mine and something I'm really focused on right now and I and and thank you for lifting up our deep canvassing. Um we also do wellness calls, just literally we just call seniors and say how are you? You know, what do you need? Make sure that they that they know what resources are available for them that they might not. But the other thing I'm squarely focused on is black men because I think that we have erased them from the narrative, okay? Um, We're either only, in other words, we only say black women are the defenders of democracy and of this democratic party. And that's not true as black people. Black women have always voted at higher rates. Yeah. And we are playing an outsized role at the ballot box and on the ballot, giving the unprecedented number of black women running for office at every level, but make no mistake about it. Black men have been the defenders of democracy in this party as well. And, um, and we don't always include them in the narrative. And so when black men hear Donald Trump in his closing arguments say, what do you have to lose? Um, and we're not communicating to them directly. They're like,
0: What do I have to lose?
1: What do I have to lose? Right. And the other thing, uh, again, as I said, if you're poor, you don't want someone telling you you're poor. You know, I think. Elected officials um, on both sides, but it's something I've worked to really change within our own party. Will single issue a constituency, so they will like go to um, black folks and only talk about mass incarceration. And yeah. we're like, we're so glad that you know you give a damn about that right now. <laughs> um, but I also care about black home ownership. Yeah, you know access not just the healthcare access to quality health care. I care about student loans. I, you know, all these other, you know, again, none of us live in one box. We live in intersectionality. So they'll go to black folks, talk about mass incarceration. Um, and, but they won't speak to, like, Black opportunity, aspiration, wealth building. They'll go to the Latino community. And by the way, immigration is not just a Hispanic Latino issue. No, the and biggest my, number of immigrant uh, deportation is Black folks. Black immigrants, right. <laughs> impacted, which is why I co-chair the Haiti caucus, because I represent the third largest Haitian diaspora in the country, Fought. To get so Title 40, 42 <laughs> repeal, you know, but now that's caught up in the courts, you know, and that kind of thing. But it's like there's black immigrants. There's um, this. Wait, South- what is
0: Title 42? Just real quick.
1: Oh, OK. So that is um, that was a, a policy weaponized under Trump that allows you to, to deport people in the name of public health. So right. when you saw. You know, Haitian migrants being whipped at the southern border—that uh, was all mm-hmm. under the uh, the the, uh, the umbrella mm-hmm. of Title Forty Two. And so, these unjust deportations, um, even after the Biden administration came in and did a one hundred day moratorium on deportations, they continued. You know, um, ICE and CBP continued to do their work, and that burden was disproportionately borne by Black immigrants, um,
0: especially uh, Haitian. Uh, immigrants. right. And do you, so, do yeah. you want to take a moment to uh celebrate the fact that they have now successfully repealed the stay in Mexico law? Like, wasn't that the that yes, was the- that's true too? I mean, come on, you know, listen, you you know this stuff, you're not a fake about you know, you, you're a voracious no, reader, you I the people on this that stuff. are listening, you know. I, so, let me just tell you, yeah, I only got up on this stuff in the last two years. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have by nature of just like a bigger force pushing me.
1: It's mm-hmm. not fun
0: to be up on this stuff. It's not, it's not peaceful. It's not soul fulfilling to be up on this stuff. It's actually soul killing. And that's why, you know, the victories require so much attention. But I, I know that the people listening to my show, they also, I, I'm up on this stuff also because like it feeds my work. So it makes, it's easy. But also, you're making it accessible and digestible. That's my point. Since that's why people, I said it. I didn't yeah, say to it people me, as well. I so, I, I, so I thank people you for are People are working. People are working. They don't got time to know who Mueller and <laughs> all these people are. They're like, Buddha Jig, Buddha Gug, Buddha. They're yeah, like, right, I right, i got to feed right, my kid. But right, I do, right. I, but I read Just that. trying to survive. Yeah. I read that, and I was like, oh, something good. Something that's good. That's true. But that's what I'm saying. So there
1: are some victories along the way. But but my longer point here is that... We single issue constituencies, and that does not that does yeah. a disservice in every way to movement building, um, to telling the story of the impact of the victories that we have had because you're like, okay, uh, LGBTQ folks, um, we used to think they cared about marriage equality, uh, we took care of that, so they're probably all set. Um, or maybe we can talk a little bit about like public accommodation for trans individuals, but like, we're good, you know, if we. Sp- Speak to Hispanic and Latinos and say we're for immigration reform. They're good, even though like South Asians experience unjust deportation, separation of family, black immigrants, you know, all of that. And with women. And that as long as we say we're pro-choice and we support reproductive uh, you know, justice, then, you know, they're all gonna, they're going to be all good. Well, and they don't North say
0: intersectionality.
1: Exa- and they don't say nothing to the AAPI community. I mean, I I, I tell my friends in the API community, I'm like, y'all are not even the model minority. You're the invisible one i mean wow. no one but but what has happened with the api community and also this is true for black men is that in the, many of these states that are up for you know grabs that we really need to keep or that we hope that we pick up they're becoming the margin of victory the api community in atlanta in georgia we saw that um as georgia became more purple the api yeah. community was really impactful in that and i would say in the states that we have carried it's not just black women you know so black men have have been a part of that. And where you really see it play out, Amanda, is in those primaries. When you look at primaries and you look at that vote and where it's coming from, Black men are a part of that as well. So we need to, you know. um, Big them up. Big them up. Big them up. You know, this is my
0: this is my last question before I let you go, because I know you got work to do. Yeah. What are people? Why is it so important that people come out in these midterm elections, like I think that there's if things become buzzwords out here, right? It's like get a vote in the midterm, get a vote in the midterm, get a vote. But why actually? What is at stake, and what is the actual impetus and intention that we need to be heading to the polls with?
1: Well, I mean, everything is under attack. Our civil rights, you know. Um, uh, the The survivability and our livability like here on this planet, um, you know, uh, legislative victories that have been, um, you know, our rights that we've been in, in, entitled to and had access to for decades. You know, everything is, is under attack, including our peace of mind, which is why I understand why people are so fatigued and so weary, you know. Um, but when I say that it's life or death, it is. Like, I know that abortion care is health care, that if we do not see more states affirming abortion care is a fundamental right, if we do not uh, see Roe eventually overturned, if we don't see integrity and balance restored to the Supreme Court, that is a matter, like people will die. Right. If we do not like we're doing with the Inflation Reduction Act, make these robust investments in climate, we will not have a planet. So um, all of these things are everything you care about, everything you need is on the ballot. And you should vote your interest. If you care about student debt cancellation, you know what side do you think is you know is, is focused yeah.
0: on that? And then I would just say on the movement Can right I just here, yeah, say yeah, side note, side note, yeah. side note, guys, while yeah. you're listening, just because someone is a democrat. Doesn't mean that they are also they're supporting all of your best interests. You need to take the time to individually look at each candidate and what they stand for. Like I I saw a Democrat today who said they were against student loan student loan uh, expunging, and I was like, wait,
1: what? I thought that was like uh, I thought we all. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, again, there's, you know, there's gradations there. So you're right. And that that it's hard for voters to be um, informed and do their homework, because again, people are just trying to like survive and make it by and they're just so overwhelmed. But you have to do it. Like, people are making decisions about your survivability. They're making decisions every day about whether you live or die. Yes. And so you should vote. But also I think if you don't vote, and I'll just say this particularly for the progressive movement, um, that people get to say that victories like mine and Representative Bush and, and Tlaib and uh, Pramila Jayapal and, you know, Katie Porter and others that I can represent, that these are flukes, mm. that they're outliers, yeah. you know, that um, people don't want bold, transformative, systemic change that they are actually content with the status quo. This is just, you know, an unruly uh, insurgency of a few Mm -hmm. who uh, subscribe to this worldview and who want to see this change. So we need the mandate. We need the mandate that we are not anomalies. We are not flukes, that we are um, extensions of a growing multiracial, multigenerational movement that wants to see bold, transformative generational change. And that does mean disrupting the status quo. That does mean disrupting and dismantling uh, white supremacy. That does mean governing differently. It means organizing differently. It means the work of liberation. It Mm -hmm. means instead of mass oppression, mass Liberation instead of treating trauma with trauma, that we create ecosystems that support and promote healing. Um, I think another world is possible, you know, where we do choose people over profit, but we have to stay in it. And so, if you believe like me that another world is possible, um, if you Keep that stakeholding your democracy, and let them know that um, those few of us who may be close to your worldview that we're not flukes.
0: That that there is a paradigm shift occurring. Oh, you're not flukes. You're a new precedent, and I think that's that to me. As uh, any help that I can be in helping to push that paradigm shift, um, I I will be. So please consider me a resource. Uh, we are so happy to have you here. We are also very happy to acknowledge that you have a cat. Uh,
1: yeah, you want me to go that? get her? Yes, okay. please! Oh, oh my okay,
0: God. hold on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, shit. <laughs> I saw a cat. Now y'all know that if there's ever a cat anywhere within mm-hmm. eyesight of me, I'm gonna find that cat. I'm like, is there a cat? I think I just saw a cat. Okay.
1: All right, you have to be body positive though. Hello. <laughs> Hello, who is this? Oh yeah. Okay. Who is so, this? Okay, so this is Sojourner Truth, um, Presley Harris. Yes. <laughs> but we 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 call her Sojo. Look at her little white so Sojo. She's a, she, she's a man coon, you know, and uh, she's just the sweetest little she thing, is. but of course we have the name of sojourner truth because everybody does the work of, of uh, abolition, <laughs> you know, and liberation in this house. My husband yes. rescued her and he said, "Look at her white feet. Can't we just call her socks?" He said, "Everything has to be so deep <laughs> with you. <truth."> but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but yes. now he loves it and she's like most cats. She likes Zoom, you know. Hello. So yeah. Look, hi, sojourner. Hey, A- A- Sojo.
0: It's, it's sojourner. I am woman. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you, Sojo. Thank you, Representative Presley. We appreciate you. And let me just tell you something. I know that you are somebody who speaks ardently about the Alapisa community and you are a member of that community. And we honor you for thank showing up you. every day as your whole self. Thank all right. Giving us all the flavor, but I meant what I said and any help I can be in continuing to, you know, speak the message that you guys are actually living within our current government space in a way that can encourage people to have their own power and use that power. I will be I will be a vessel in that respect. So let me know.
1: Well, and I'm, I'm happy to lock arms with you, sis. I appreciate uh, your consciousness. I appreciate again the responsible way with which you steward your platform. Thank you for creating the space and the opportunity. Thank you for your solidarity. And um, you know, just I, I just appreciate how you continue to um to be you fully, fully and unapologetically. And I especially love all the all the takes on your your prior life as a talk show host.
0: Those <laughs> are, you know uh, well thank so. you also for your vocabulary because I got some words that I have to look up and that is rare. Okay. <laughs> that is okay. If you say so. so. Right. I am there. I am there. Okay, all right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Shout Thank out to you. You too. All right. So look at her. She's ready to go. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Bye. A podcast <clears throat> a podcast network.